This morning we're going to visit one of the most significant places in the Bible. And when we're there, we're going to be introduced to one of the most significant people in the Bible. The place we're going to visit is Bethlehem. And the person we're going to meet is David. We're going to look together at 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you're using a church Bible, that's page 287. And the large print is page 440. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And as we look at this chapter, we're going to see that the place we sing about at Christmas every year, that place was significant long before the first Christmas. We're going to see that Bethlehem has a history, actually, of producing the unexpected. Bethlehem has a history of producing great kings who look too ordinary to be great. The title on the screen reminds us, or it says, a new king from Bethlehem. And that reminds us about Israel's old king, Saul. We've seen in previous weeks that Saul was the king Israel wanted. But now Saul has been rejected. Now it's time for God's king. God has chosen a king according to his own heart. A king whose name means beloved. I'm going to read the whole of chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then made Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, 
Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor-bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. This is God's word. Chapter 15 ended with Samuel mourning for Saul. And at the start of chapter 16, Samuel is still mourning. We don't know how long has passed since chapter 15, but Samuel hasn't got over it. Remember, he had to deliver God's message to Saul. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And Samuel is still mourning about that. No doubt Samuel had great affection for Saul. And no doubt, too, Samuel is worried about Israel's future. This new era of kingship has hardly got started, and now it seems to have disintegrated. Samuel himself is an old man. Israel can't go back to relying on Samuel. And we know that his sons are nasty pieces of work. So what's going to become of Israel? No doubt Samuel's mourning involves all of that. But God says to him, enough, Samuel. Saul's failure caused me sorrow too. But it didn't take me by surprise. God says, now it's time for my king to come on the scene. The king I've always planned to give Israel. Look what God says in the middle of verse 1. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. One writer says it's time for Samuel to turn from his grief to God's future. And this is always what God's people are called to do. Whatever grief you face... Whatever comes along in your life that makes you mourn, the time will come when God says to you, turn from your grief to my future. 
And that is not to belittle our grief. Whenever we lose a loved one, or when we're hit by an illness, or some other blow comes along and knocks us off our feet, it's normal. And it's perfectly okay to mourn over that. But sometimes we get stuck there. We begin to live like our life ended when that thing happened, when that body blow came along. We go through our days like our life is over. We might still be breathing, but our hope died when that loved one died, or when we lost that mobility or that health that we used to have. Or maybe it's some sin that we fell into, and we've confessed it and we've repented of it, but we've also suffered consequences because of it. And we just can't see a way forward. If you're in some kind of situation like that, God says to you today what he said to Samuel. He might say it softly and gently. Or by this stage, maybe he's saying it sternly to you. How long will you mourn over your loss? It's perfectly okay to mourn. But now it's time to turn from your grief to my future. Because I do have a future for you. My plans are unfolding every hour. And I have plans for you. So God says, get up, come with me. Your life isn't over. Don't act like it is over. Well, Samuel gets God's message. He knows that the horn of oil means he's to anoint this new king. And Samuel is worried in verse 2. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. And this reminds us that Saul is still on the throne of Israel. His kingship has been rejected by God, but officially he's still king. And he will be for many more years. And considering what has happened between Samuel and Saul, Saul will likely be watching Samuel very closely. And Saul is not going to be pleased if he hears Samuel's gone and anointed a new king. But God says, I have this in hand, Samuel. Don't just take your horn of oil, take a cow as well for a sacrifice. The sacrifice will be part of the anointing ceremony. But Samuel regularly tours around officiating at sacrifices. That was one of his responsibilities. So if Saul hears about this sacrifice, he's unlikely to suspect anything. In any case, Samuel obeys God, and when he arrives at Bethlehem, the elders of the town are worried. Verse 4 says, they trembled when they saw Samuel. Why has he come? They know that his arrival is not always good news. They're sure to have heard how Samuel executed King Agag. But Samuel reassures them in verse 5, I come in peace. And then he tells them to consecrate themselves. That means they're to wash and make themselves ceremonially clean. Then Samuel invites Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice. And verse 6 says, When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, 
Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Eliab is Jesse's oldest son. And Eliab looks the part. He looks kingly. And Samuel makes the same kind of mistake we often make. He makes his judgment based on appearances. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. All of us are suckers for appearances. And it doesn't help when our society tells us all that matters is appearances. And I think it's true that we're impressed not just by physically striking people. If someone has a charismatic personality, we can get bowled over by that as well. How many leaders, including church leaders, are chosen because they can impress an audience and make an audience laugh? And here, Samuel falls for it too. But God says, don't you dare, Samuel. We've been down that road before. Eliab would turn out to be Saul part two. Remember how Saul was introduced to us. Back in chapter nine, we were told he was as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. Saul was chosen for his kingly look. Because that's the kind of king that people wanted. But now it's time for God's chosen king. And God uses different criteria. Appearances do not factor in God's choice. Look how God explains it to Samuel. Verse 7 is the most important verse in this whole passage. Samuel has just said, look at Eliab, Lord. Look at his square jaw. Look at his muscles. Look at his qualifications. Verse 7 But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Literally, the text says this, Man sees according to the eyes, but the Lord sees according to the heart. It's important that we get this. Man sees according to the eyes, but the Lord sees according to the heart. And so the NIV translation is a little bit misleading. It suggests that we look at appearances, but God looks at the heart. But what God is saying is a little different. He's saying, Samuel, you see people with your eyes. I see people with my heart. So the heart here is God's heart. But what does it mean for God to see according to his heart? It means God doesn't view people according to their appearances. He views them according to the purposes he has for them. So Eliab is standing here and Samuel's ready to pour the oil in his head because Eliab looks great to Samuel. But God says, no, this is not the one I have set my heart on. I don't act according to how people look. I act according to the plans of my heart. So God says, I won't always choose the handsome and the beautiful. I won't always work through the strong and the brainy. 
I won't always work through the person with the magnetic, overpowering personality. Now, it's equally important for us to see we can't just flip this around. In other words, we can't just say, ah, so God always chooses the weak and the foolish. He always chooses the quieter, more reflective personality. No, we can't make that assumption either. Sometimes God uses people who do look the part. In fact, later we'll see that the one God chooses here does actually have a kingly look as well. So the key point is God chooses according to his purposes, not according to some quality that's in us. It's not as if God is desperately scanning over the earth, looking for someone who's good enough for him to use. Verse 7 is not talking about how much God is on the man's heart, It's about how much the man is on God's heart. And surely, this should be encouraging for us. God does not call us to himself because we measure up to some checklist that he has. He calls us because he has set his heart on us. So maybe you're sitting here and you're just oppressed by what's all around you. All this emphasis on appearances. Maybe you've been living under the weight of that. You feel that you don't look good enough. You don't sound good enough. You don't have the brain power. You don't have the charming personality. Well then, listen to this. No matter how other people might look at you, God looks at you according to his heart. And whenever God calls you and you can't see how he could possibly be interested in you, understand that God doesn't operate the way others do. He is not waiting for you to measure up. God has come looking for you because he set his heart on you. And whenever someone walks into this building and they don't have the appearance that we would like them to have, or the airs and graces that we would like, or even the smell that we would like. When that happens, let's remind ourselves of this. We see according to our eyes, or maybe our nose, but God sees according to his heart. So when that person walks in through the doors, Let's not jump to conclusions. Let's not rush past that person and start fawning over the well-dressed, smooth-talking person. Who are we to say who God has set his heart on? Let's treat everyone the same and see what God will do. Well, Samuel realizes what he's supposed to be doing. And so he leaves this decision to God. After Eliab, six other sons of Jesse walk past. And God says nothing to Samuel. So in verse 11, he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse announced. Jesse answered, He is tending the sheep. The youngest can also be translated the littlest or the least. 
Jesse has eight sons, but he disregarded the littlest. Jesse assumed that son number eight was irrelevant to Samuel's mission. But, again in verse 11, Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. In other words, we're not going to eat until he gets here. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. At this point, David is maybe 10, maybe 15 years old, somewhere in that range. And you'll notice David has the kingly look. We're told he's glowing with health. He has a fine appearance and handsome features. So Jesse had not discounted David because he didn't have the looks or the health. No, Jesse discounted him because he was a young boy. Jesse thought God wouldn't be interested in a young boy. So again, the point here is we just can't guess who God is going to call and use. We can't say he'll always use the strong. We can't say he'll always use the weak. And we can't predict at what age he'll begin to use someone. David's health and good looks didn't didn't qualify him to be used by God. That's not why God is using him. And David's age didn't disqualify him from being used by God. Verse 13 says, From the day Samuel anointed him, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. A 10 year old, maybe 15. And so if you're in that age bracket, don't assume God is not interested in you. Don't assume that, yes, he wants you to follow him, but he's pretty much going to ignore you. God can use you just as much as anyone else in here. So be open to that. Ask him to guide you. Ask him to give you strength. Look for opportunities to serve him. Ask your parents to point you in the right direction with that. Ask one of the leaders. Some of you are going to be coming into membership, and that is great. I would encourage you to be active members for God's glory. Your age isn't a barrier to that. And if you're older... Don't think of the youth and teenagers as if they're in cold storage for the future. That's what Jesse thought about David. Take the younger people in our church seriously. Get to know them. Don't disregard them. And if you're younger, don't disregard the older men and women. A few weeks ago, I heard someone talking about a pastor who is now close to 70. And by the way, this doesn't involve anyone here at all. The person was talking about the older pastor, 
And he said, oh, he's yesterday's man. What? Says who? Those are the words of someone who is looking according to the eyes. But our God looks at people according to his heart. Who's to say God isn't going to use that pastor more powerfully in the future than he has in the past? So if you're one of the more senior members of the church, don't assume that God's finished with you. And if you're younger, realize God could use some older member to teach you and challenge you and give you an example to follow. Let's stop looking at people according to our own eyes. When we do that, we will often dismiss the wrong people and we'll latch on to the wrong people. Let's have an openness to what's on God's heart. Well, here in Bethlehem, it turns out the disregarded son is God's chosen king. God's spirit comes upon David. That's where his true strength and ability are going to come from. Verse 13 is the first mention of the name David. He's the king whose name means beloved. And no doubt he was loved by his parents, but even more so, he is loved by God. And at this point, David becomes king in waiting. It will be many years before David actually sits on the throne. That particular work is far in the future for this young boy. But God begins to use him almost immediately. In fact, I think the story of David and Goliath took place shortly after this. That incident is recorded in chapter 17, but I think in terms of time sequence, it probably happened before the second half of chapter 16. I'll come back to that next week. But the point is, David may be king in waiting, but he becomes a useful instrument for God right away. And here in the text, we can see that right away. God's chosen king brings peace. Verse 13 told us the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. But we're immediately reminded in verse 14, now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. In this context, the news that the Spirit has departed from Saul, that's telling us Saul's power to rule as God's king has gone. It has passed over to David. I think that's why this section is here, even though in time sequence it comes after chapter 17. This contrast between verses 13 and 14 is here to show us that God's power has passed from Saul to David. So this is not a comment actually about Saul's eternal state. It's telling us he no longer has God's power to rule God's people. But what are we supposed to make of the second half of verse 14? An evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. 
Well, the NIV has a footnote telling us the word translated evil often means harmful. And it's likely what we're being told here is not that God sent a demon on Saul, but that he sent an angel to bring judgment on Saul. Judgment here in the form of some kind of severe depression, some major emotional disturbance. Because of Saul's rebellion against God, God has removed his enabling power and sent his disturbing power. Now, as we've followed Saul's life, we've seen that we need to be very careful about applying the things that happened to Saul directly to ourselves. Saul had a unique role to play in Israel's history. And here, this is the only place in the Old Testament where a harmful spirit from the Lord is ever mentioned. So we must not assume that if someone is suffering from depression or if they have mental problems, that it's God's judgment. We mustn't assume that. The fact this is only mentioned once in the Bible proves that can be the case, but it also suggests it's not going to be the case very often. If we jump to conclusions about mental and emotional problems, we're likely going to jump to the wrong conclusions. In any case, Saul's servants come up with this idea that some music might ease his mental disturbance. And Saul likes the idea. He says, find me a guy with a guitar. Someone like James Taylor. Eric Clapton unplugged. And look who they come up with in verse 18. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man. And the Lord is with him. The next verse will tell us they're talking here about David. Now, obviously, he's a little older at this point. Maybe not much older, but he is now known as a brave man and a warrior. And most important of all, it is known that the Lord is with him. I think it's unlikely that word of David's anointing has leaked out at this point. David's family may well have kept a lid on that news. And certainly if it is known, no one's going to tell Saul about it. But in God's plan, this young man with his guitar becomes a source of healing to angry, rebellious Saul. God uses the king he has chosen to bring a measure of peace to Saul. Who knows how many psalms David had already written at this point? Who knows how many of them he played to Saul? Maybe Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He refreshes my soul. Maybe Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Whatever it was that David played, we're told when David took up his lyre, then relief would come to Saul. 
God's chosen king brings peace. Much later, Jesus Christ would say to his followers, blessed are the peacemakers. Whenever God calls us into his service, he calls us to be peacemakers in this world. We're to bring relief to those who are lost in sin. And in many cases, tormented by their sin. Now, there are many ways that we can do that. But above anything else that we can do, we are to point men and women to the greater king from Bethlehem. The one who through his death made a way for sinners to be at peace with Almighty God. First Samuel 16 tells us about the day Samuel arrived in Bethlehem and anointed a shepherd boy. About a thousand years later, a young man and woman stumbled together into Bethlehem. The man, Joseph, was a distant descendant of that shepherd boy. Our reading earlier told us Joseph belonged to the house and line of David, the line of the beloved. And there, in a shelter for animals, the woman gave birth to a son, a new king from Bethlehem. And just like his ancestor David, to those who looked according to the eyes, that baby was irrelevant. Who would have looked at him and realized that history would revolve around him? Who would have realized eternity would revolve around him? A baby in a trough. Human eyes could never have seen it. But that baby was God's dearly loved son, God's chosen king. And God revealed his heart to some shepherds in the fields. That's appropriate, isn't it? In Bethlehem. Through his angels, God said to those shepherds, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Lord. And then the angel choir arrived. Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace. This world largely has disregarded God's king. But he is our only way to peace with God. And that news is the best gift we can give to this world. So let's share it with people this Christmas. And let's celebrate it now as we sing together, Oh, what a mystery I see.